Welcome to episode 15 of Make Me Watch It, the podcast where you tell me which of the movies in my collection I'm going to be podcasting about next. This month we are looking at La La Land. It had a limited release on December 9th of 2016, and eventually opened up in a wide release on Christmas Day of 2016. This is one I picked up for a couple reasons. One, it seemed like the kind of movie that my fiancé would really enjoy. And two, I do have a habit of picking up movies who do well at the Oscars solely because they did well at the Oscars. In fact, there's a bit of a story about how this played out at the Oscars, which people may or may not remember, but I'll get to that when I talk about the awards in more particular detail. So why is it this month's movie? Well, I found when I initially put out the voting for Make Me Watch It, there was a really strong response. But then when I was putting out the addendums and the other releases, there weren't as many people voting on it, which means my more recent purchases weren't included. And there's also movies that would have been difficult to talk about without also discussing movies that I had already seen. Because as you may recall, this project originally began to focus exclusively on movies I'd never seen. I'm also using the Letterboxd website a lot more. That's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D, not X-E-D, dot com. So I've taken every movie I own that I haven't already recorded a podcast about or don't plan to record a podcast about and put it onto a Letterboxd list. So barring votes, which are now available in just a free-form text box, enter the titles of movies you'd like me to discuss kind of vote style. I will just be picking alternatively the most popular title from Letterboxd and the least popular title from Letterboxd. Now, Letterboxd popularity seems to be determined not by the score, but by how many people have said, yes, I've seen that. I don't know how much of a factor rewatches are in that, but I do know in the site-wide stats in 2017, La La Land was the most rewatched movie in that website's logs for that year. So that's why I picked it up, and it's a fairly recent release. It just took us time to get to it. Now, the movie was written and directed by Damien Chazelle. This is by far his most popular project. But he also wrote the screenplay for 10 Cloverfield Lane. He wrote Whiplash, which did well at the Oscars in its year, 2014. Grand Piano, The Last Exorcism Part 2, and Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. He's got six directing credits, starting with Whiplash. Well, actually starting with Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. That was just his own little short. Then the short and extend versions of Whiplash. La La Land, a couple episodes of a TV miniseries that has yet to be released called The Eddie. And First Man which is in filming now and due out later this year. So an incredibly short resume, but between this and Whiplash, there are a couple of movies that have done extremely well at the Oscars. So I'm betting Damien Chazelle is a name that we're going to be much more familiar with in a few years' time. Now, the stars include Ryan Gosling. As far as the IMDb is concerned, he is best known for Blue Valentine, La La Land, The Notebook, and The Nice Guys. I would think that listeners of Bureau 42's podcast and readers of the Bureau 42 site would also know him as K from Blade Runner 2049. 
he's got a fairly lengthy list of credits going back to 1995. The female lead was Emma Stone. IMDb says she's best known for La La Land, Easy A, The Help, and Birdman, the previous Best Picture winner. She may also be known to a lot of people as Gwen Stacy from The Amazing Spider-Man Movies, which had Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker in Spider-Man. Speaking of Spider-Man and Whiplash, this also features J.K. Simmons. According to the IMDb, he's best known for playing Fletcher in Whiplash, Mac McGruff in Juno, Bill in La La Land, and J. Jonah Jameson in the first three Spider-Man films that had Tobey Maguire in the role of Peter Parker. Those seem to be the most notable cast members. There's others, but they are mostly up and coming rather than already established. You know, Amy Khan is known as famous actress in La La Land. She's also been in Once Upon a Time, The Book of Opera, American Crime Story, and Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. So there's a few recognizable faces, but they don't really have recognizable names. Now, Justin Hurwitz was the composer for the film. He's got a fairly short list of credits already. It looks like this director is very much into giving up-and-comers a shot, and he's more focused on whether or not they convince him they've got the skill than anything else. In short, this really is a, a throwback to the classic musicals, to the point that key members of the cast and crew actually visited Gene Kelly's widow just to take a look at memorabilia and such from Singing in the Rain. The plot is essentially a romance. There are a couple of major characters. So we've got Emma Stone's character, who's striving to become an actress. Ryan Gosling's character wants to become a jazz musician and own his own jazz club. So he's looking less for the public notoriety and is focused all about the art, whereas she is looking more for, you know, the, the big picture, very popular stuff. And eventually it almost goes the other way. So he has the chance to hit it big with concert tours with a new band that's kind of bringing jazz to new people by changing it tremendously. And he's not really happy with how it's being changed, but he's happy to be able to comfortably pay the bills. Whereas Emma Stone gets her break in a little independent film that requires her to spend a lot of time in Europe. So their romance actually falls apart, which is unusual for musicals. Normally they all get the happy ending. And here they do get their happy endings, just not together. So they each find happiness in other ways. He ends up opening that club. She's married with kids and a successful career. It's just not with him. So it was well done in the performances. Ryan Gosling apparently spent a lot of time learning to play the piano, specifically to play the pieces that his character was playing. So he did not know how to play the piano when this started. And yet in the finished production, he is actually playing the pieces his character plays. So I got to give him a lot of respect. I took piano lessons myself, spent a lot more time on it than he did, and did not become as good as he was. Now, in terms of the box office production, this was a financially successful film. The production budget was approximately $30 million. The domestic gross ended up at $151,101,803 
and almost 300 million in overseas or the foreign box office brought it to a worldwide total of 446 million 90,644 dollars. So when you're looking at that proportion of two to three times the budget, this would have been considered profitable had it brought in somewhere between 60 and 90 million. You know, instead of being two or three times the budget, this is more like 15 times the production budget. So yeah, this was quite comfortably a profitable film in theaters, plus the home video resale market, where it's done fairly well as a result of those Oscars. Now, speaking of the Oscars, it was nominated for 14 Oscars by my count, and it ultimately won six of them. So it won Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role for Emma Stone, Best Achievement in Directing for Damien Chazelle, which made him the youngest ever winner of Best Director, at about a month over 32 years old. It won the Oscar for Cinematography for Linus Sandgren, Best Original Score for Justin Hurwitz, Best Original Song for City of Stars by Justin Hurwitz, Benj Pasek, and Justin Paul, and Best Achievement in Production Design, which went to David Wasco, the production designer, and Sandy Reynolds Wasco for set decoration. It was also nominated for Best Original Song for the same group for Audition, so they were up against themselves in that category. Best Achievement in Sound Editing for Aling Lee and Mildred Latrue. Best Achievement in Sound Mixing for Andy Nelson, Aling Lee, and Stephen Morrow. Costume Design for Mary Zofriz. Film Editing for Tom Cross. Screenplay for Damien Chazelle. Performance by an actor in a leading role for Ryan Gosling. And it was up for Best Picture for producers Fred Berger, Jordan Horowitz, and Mark Platt. Now, as you may or may not recall, during the actual Oscar ceremony, this was briefly announced as the winner of Best Picture. There were a couple of people presenting. Warren Beatty opened the envelope but didn't say anything and showed it to his partner because the card did say La La Land, but it specifically named Emma Stone because it was actually a duplicate card of the Best Actress version. When he showed it to his partner, she was excited, wondering about the delay, wanted to get it out, so she just blurted out the name La La Land, and it was later corrected to say, no, it was actually Moonlight that won, and it was the wrong card in the envelope. Now, at the Golden Globes, it did win Best Motion Picture. In fact, it won all of its nominations for Best Motion Picture in a Musical or Comedy, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, for their performances, Damien Chazelle for directing and screenplay, City of Stars for Best Song, and Best Original Score. Also did well at the BAFTAs, at the Screen Actors Guild, and a number of other award ceremonies and categories. So it was definitely a hit with critics. It's also very popular with fans. Not only is it that popular on Letterboxd, in fact, for all-time popularity, it's second only to Mad Max Fury Road. On the IMDb, it's currently sitting at number 207 in their top 250 movies of all time. So it is a very enjoyable film. If you enjoy the musical genre, it is a great callback to that genre of the classics. While I personally enjoyed it, 
I don't see myself going back to rewatch this nearly as often as I go back to rewatch, say, Singing in the Rain of the Music Man. So it's enjoyable. It's nice to have that love letter to that genre that is fading. But rather than have something that feels like that classic genre, I'd rather just go back to the originals myself. I don't regret seeing it as enjoyable. I just don't know that I'll ever plan or go out of my way to see it a second time. In any event, that's all we have to say about La La Land. So next month, barring additional write-in votes, the topic is going to be the least popular movie that is on my Make Me Watch It options list on letterboxd.com. So bureau42.com will have links to my Letterboxd account. My username is Fiziko42, F-I-Z-I-K-O-42. If you wanted to go and track it down directly there, I will also make sure that the voting links are present and easy to find on Bureau 42 itself. Thank you for listening.